So, but, um, so my tendency, I don't, the mic's not working. I don't know if anybody knows how to work it, but maybe I didn't turn it on. No, I have it on. So, that, <laughs> um, so my tendency is to kind of fade and get quieter and quieter. Um, just, just say, hey, speak louder. And if, huh? Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, please do that. Um, and, um, and if anybody does know how to work the mic, hey, please uh, start working on it. So, <laughs> so I'll try and talk uh, louder. So let's go ahead and we'll get started here and we'll pray. Father, we're thankful for today and we're thankful uh, that we can come here and study your word together and that we can encourage one another, uh, that we can glorify you through the knowledge of understanding more of your bride. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so... Um, so like I said, uh, you know, last week we had, we talked about, and it was an introduction for ecclesiology or the study of the church or the theology of the nature and structure of the church, okay? And so that's a very big, broad topic that, you know, people write big, thick books about um, that we're doing four weeks on. So um, when I, I, I had a little panic thing last week as I was studying for this. And I was like, how am I going to put all this information into one lesson? Then I realized I had two Sundays to do this in. So I was like, whew. So I don't know why I forgot that, but I had a little like, oh, no. This is, I was, what am I going to have to cut out? But um, I think we're all going to be able to get that in. So Lord willing, um, we'll get going. So, um, so we talked um, last week about how our ecclesiology drives much of what we do. So we could say our ecclesiology drives our missionology. So um, knowing what the church looks like drives on what we want to do to reproduce the church. So if we think a church is just two or three people that get together and study the scriptures, our missionology or how we spread the good news of the gospel into all the world where there is no churches will look differently. And we went through our study of end times is dictated by our ecclesiology or what our knowledge of the church is. So it's really important to know um, what the church is. And we talked about how Christ must be preeminent in the church. So he's the builder, the grower. He's the head. He's the cornerstone. So when we... Um, um, so whenever we talk about the church, the church um, must be preeminent. Sounds like my mic is on. Is that good? Okay, good. Um, so I said last week that um, we are building the foundation of the church when we preach Christ. That's not quite accurate. It would be more accurate to say in um, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 11, um, that when we preach God's word, we are building on the foundation that is Christ. So we are building up the church um, because the Christ is the cornerstone of the church of that foundation built upon the, the apostles and the prophets. Okay, so we don't build on the foundation. The foundation already exists. So just as an aside there, um, but that's an important point to what we teach. So, so now we're going to transition on the biblical metaphors of the church. So that's the back side of that. Um, and the first one we're going to get into is the household of God. So um, if you turn to 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, I'll read that here, the household of God. 
So, yeah, 1 Timothy 3, 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know that one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Okay, so the household of God is the church or the assembly um, there. And then um, you don't have to turn here, but uh, Romans chapter 8 is a famous uh, set of verses in verse 14. For all who have been led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So in the household of God, um, God is our Father. We are his sons. And then so that what does that make all of us here together, which we say a lot of brother and sisters. So um, and so that was a big deal, especially back when this was written, when we had Jews and Gentiles, Um, that dividing wall has been removed by Jesus dying on the cross, um, bringing that together. What used to be separate Gentiles are able to be grafted into the vine, into the branch here and um, become one because God is one. There is not two gods. There is one God over one people, which are his children. Okay, so we are brothers and sisters in Christ, household of God. Very closely associated with that is the other metaphor, which is the temple of God. It's really hard to divide the two of them, and I'll get in a little bit more of that. But turn to 1 Corinthians 6. And it's getting hard to read this up here, which I was like, I need light or, oh, I need my glasses. So 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through um, 20. So flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin in a person commits is outside of the body, but sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that you are a body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Okay, so we have our body. What's in our body? Who's in our body? The Holy Spirit. So that is a powerful, powerful thing to know that the Holy Spirit is in us. So if the Holy Spirit is in us, we are a vessel, we are a body, we are um, a temple where the Holy Spirit, God, resides in us. Okay, so to remember remembering that is a powerful thing, because what what does Emmanuel stand for? God with us. So the Holy Spirit is God in us. Okay, so um, and Jesus talked a lot about the sorrow that the disciples had that Jesus was going to leave. But what did Jesus encourage them with when he said he was going to go away? What was going to happen? Yeah, another one will come, a greater counselor will come. He said, something better than me is coming. And it's like, I don't know, I always think about 
boy, that would be great to spend three years with Jesus. And that's not true. It's better to have the Holy Spirit in us than to be with Jesus. So just remember the gift that the Holy Spirit is. Sometimes we forget about the Holy Spirit, but he is a person of the Godhead um, that is a powerful gift to us to use in there. So therefore, we are a temple um, being built up. So just to help a lot with our imagery here, um, do you know what the temple is called in the Old Testament? We, we say temple, but it's actually something else. It's translated differently. That's a tent. Yeah, uh-huh. And, and so, but that, yeah, and so that's the tent of the meeting before the temple. The sanctuary is in the temple. Huh? I think I heard something. What? House. House. It's actually called the holy house. Um, and then Jesus, when he cleared out the te- when he cleared out the temple mount, what did he call his his father's house? Was a what house of prayer? It's a house of prayer. So. The temple is actually a house, okay? And then where Jesus was going to go away to prepare what? So that when we come, when he comes again, what? Huh? A, a what? A place, but, huh? A house with many rooms, okay? So we are going to join his house. So this household of Im- Im- imagery is all throughout the scriptures. Okay, so we tend to think of temple, but really it's a house. Um, and, and they talk about the house. So we do that here. We say the white house, right? When I say that white house, everybody knows exactly what that is. Okay, um, it is not, it, it's a house, but it's not really a house. It is a representation of the United States of America. Um, but so that house that we have here is a temple. It's a house that God lives in through the Holy Spirit. God is our Father, and then we are brothers and sisters in, in, as an assembly together here of people. Okay, So that's why it's so good. We, some of us do do that. Who says brother and sister to each other? Is it, I kind of do. Not really, but it's a really good thing to do. Anybody do that? Huh? Does anybody know people that do that? Okay. Do you feel weird when they say that? Huh? No? So then why don't you say it, right? I don't know, but brother or sister? I feel a little weird sometimes, so I don't know. I don't really do that, but it's a really good thing to do. It's like we're not to call each other like father or mother, but we're to um, call each other brother or sister in Christ. And that's a really good reminder of what this is, and this is we are... Uh, we are together. We're in the house. God is our Father. So, um, with that, any questions about that? All right. Well, we're going to jump into branches and vine, and turn to John fifteen five. So the branches and vine are um, are a big 
big metaphor here. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, uh, wait, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So um, abide is a big word. I bet you guys have heard lots of sermons on this one. So I've heard, what have you heard abiding means? I've heard a lot of different sermons from different things abiding. So the, the branch is the church. The vine is the trunk or the root where the root is. Obviously, we don't have a branch branch when it's cut off what does it do it dies okay so what does abiding mean living. huh living. living okay good where's some other stay. huh Just stay stay okay good remain remain be a part of, be a part of. yeah Any other thoughts on abiding? So there's a lot of, um, I've heard a lot of sermons you might have hear of, I just need to abide in Jesus. I need to abide in Jesus. If I just abound in God, everything will work out well. It's a little bit of a, um, it's like, oh, sometimes I'm in the vine and sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm in, sometimes I'm not. Um, but abiding is a little bit more um, um, longer than that because only believers can abide in the vine. Can un unbelievers abide in the vine? And if you're, in, if you're not in the vine, are you a believer? And so that's the big question. What this, what this is really trying to teach branches in the vine is more of perseverance. Um, so if we are saved by grace through faith, not a result of work so that no man can boast, right? So that's Ephesians chapter 2. Then the Holy Spirit is in you, okay? And we know from Romans chapter 8, if the Holy Spirit is in you, what will happen? So what will happen if the Holy Spirit is in you? Huh? You, You'll bear fruit, right? So, so if I took, have you guys ever seen like, like a fruit tree or something with um, branches that are about, like um, flowers that are in buds that are about ready to open up into flowers, and you cut it and you put it in a, in a um, jar of water? What happens to those flowers when they're in the bud form and they're about ready to open up? Or have you seen roses that are in a tight bulb and you put them in water? What happens? Yeah, they open, right? So uh, a, um, like if you had an ap apple blossoms and if you put them in there, they'll actually open up and they'll be really pretty. Has anybody seen apples grow on a cut branch? That cannot happen, 
Okay, so that's the fruit that it's talking about. Okay, so bearing fruit. Now that's why it's so amazing with Aaron's staff that happened in the Old Testament. He had a staff that budded, it was a dead branch that budded and formed olive um, blossoms and produced almond fruit. Did I say olive? It was almond. So almond blossoms, and then it bore fruit of almonds on this dead branch. So that's the amazingness and the, and the teaching of a dead branch being um, resurrected there. So we don't see that. So to be in the branch, being in there, Gentiles are grafted into that branch, or that the branch of the Gentiles are grafted into the vine, which talks about if we abide in him, we will bear fruit. And so the um, so that's why it's very important in its teaching, perseverance, and um, sanctification um, with that. So abiding in is more eternal. It's not temporary or transitionally. It's like, oh, I have to, I'm not doing well. I must not be abiding. And it's like, no, if you are abiding, you will bear fruit. Now, this can be a very discouraging topic um, when we're talking about sanctification because there's two things that we can make mistakes with here. One, we could be so guilt-ridden about how we're not doing the spiritual disciplines. I'm not reading my Bible enough. I'm not going to church enough. I'm not sharing the gospel enough. What else do we beat ourselves up on? I, I just named off three. I yelled at my kids again. Or what are some other things that we do? I yelled at the driver that cut me off. <laughs> I did that again. So we can be so guilt-ridden with this that then people will, which it's good to examine ourselves, right? But then what's the other mistake we make? We go on the other end, and what can we do? We can be self-righteous in our spiritual disciplines. So we could be, wow, look, I read my Bible every day. I go to church every Sunday, look at how I have my act together, okay? So those are two mistakes that we can be in. They're two dangerous spots. Um, but if we have the Holy Spirit in us, what does fruit look like? So I'm asking you that question. If we have the Holy Spirit in us, what does fruit look like? What is fruit, bearing fruit? Repentance. It's good. Repentance. Kindness. Kindness. Good. That should that should jog some other ones. Love. Love. Joy. Joy. Peace. Peace. Patience. Patience. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Good one. Gentleness, self-control. So what we have is the fruit of the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in you, which we know from the household of God, those that are part of the church have the Holy Spirit in us, we will bear fruit. The fruit, will, the fruit is not going to church, okay? The fruit is faithfulness that manifests himself in going to church. And so when we understand what the fruit is, that helps us from being self-righteous because we're like, the goal is not going to church. The goal is faithfulness. When I pray, I pray for faithfulness. 
so that I can go to church. But going to church might not look like, being faithful might not look like going to church. You might have to take care of a family member that is dying. So going to church is not being faithful. It's actually not faithful because you need to be taking care of your family member. So legalism, um, so when we look at what the fruit of the Spirit is, that keeps us from legalism, and it also keeps us from guilt. How can it keep us from guilt when we look at what the fruit of the Spirit is, rather than the spiritual disciplines? Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not against spiritual disciplines. They're very important, and they're very helpful. Praying regularly, doing your Bible, reading your Bible regularly, going to church is very important, right? But how do we avoid guilt by looking at the fruit of the Spirit? Nobody struggles with guilt? Hey, that's pretty good. Well, I just, I, I don't quite get, like, looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Like, I avoid guilt by, well, Jesus' righteousness. He bore all these fruits perfectly, and that is imputed to me. And so I don't, okay. so I guess I'm struggling with, like, what do you mean by fruit of the Spirit? Yeah, where does the fruit come from? That's what you're saying from the Holy Spirit, right? So it's not your power to do that. So what do we pray for? We ask God for these things, okay? So you ask God, it's like I continually yell at people that cut me off and when I'm driving to work. So what do you pray for if you're yelling at people while you're driving, right? So you ask God for those things and then God will, that's what God wants you to ask, okay? So if you don't have that, um, you ask for it, okay? So with gentleness. And so it's a different mindset when you're looking to God who Jesus died on the cross for our sins, paid the debt, uh, ransomed us, um, adopted us into his family. He's our father. And if we ask him, why would he not give that to us if that's what he wants us to ask of? Okay? So it's not, I have to do more for my father. It's, I have a father that loves me and I can boldly go to him and ask him, and he will graciously give that to us. Okay? So, any other any questions about that? Okay, go ahead. Okay, we're going to jump into the body. Everybody knows this one, right? We hear this one a lot, and it makes a lot of sense. The body. If you turn to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians 12. I'm going, to, I'm going to read 12 through 20. So this really makes sense. We all have a body, so we really understand a hand's not a foot and an eye is not a hand, okay? And if we had four hands, we wouldn't walk very well. So, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body through many are one body, so it is with 
Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that one that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, there would be, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So what do you guys hear in that? So the church is one body, is a body made up of many parts. What do you think the main point is? Sometimes we miss the main point. Okay, so we all work together, right? For God's glory. Good. It further reinforces that God builds us for fellowship with one another and not just to be islands, so to speak. And, and that God really didn't need us to, to work in harmony with one another to glorify him and again you know spread the gospel spread the good word yeah. so we're all yep yeah, that's good so we're all to work together in harmony right we're not to beat ourselves up if we don't have the spiritual gifting okay what do you mean beat yourself up that's that's really good well, that's what I see like if the folks should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. I see okay. a picture of shame. Okay. I'm not valuable, right? But you are, right? How many have seen somebody else have a real, like in person, have seen somebody else use their spiritual gift that you don't have, and you're like, I wish I had that. That's amazing. I. So, I mean, so I, I remember, so something I don't have is, um, I struggle with is um, like compassion and mercy. Um, and uh, that is not how I am defined. <laughs> so my wife can agree with that, test to that. So, um, so something that I really want to grow in. Um, so that's why I ask God in my prayers for that. Um, and so the, uh, but I've seen a person come to our church and this person's really good in compassion and mercy. And they talked, um, so, and then I talked to them beforehand and they weren't feeling, feeling very well. And I was like, oh, why'd you come? It's like, well... I should come, even though I'm not feeling good. I was like, well, okay. So hopefully you make it through the day. 
and then I talked to him afterwards, and I was like, so how, how was your day? And, she, and the person goes, I'm so glad I came because a person really needed me to pray with them and talk to them, and they just unloaded a really heavy issue. And then I met somebody new that I didn't know before, and they just unloaded this heavy issue, and I prayed with them. And I was like, how in the world did you just meet somebody new, and they just unload? And the person goes, I don't know. People just do that to me. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. I mean, that is the Holy Spirit working in us. And so, what, and so then my heart went to, oh, I wish I could do that. I coveted that. Right? So covetousness is idolatry. And so we have to protect ourselves from that. So I don't have that. And um, that's not my spiritual gift. Um, but I'm thankful that that person was there and did that spiritual gift. Right? So that's what we have. We all work together. We all have our roles. And we might be used to our spiritual gift and our role in our area. But um, they're vitally important, and we all work together to do that. And then, it, and so that's why this transitions when it talks about one body and many members. Um, in verse thirteen, it talks about love. Right? If you're not loving somebody, it doesn't matter what your spiritual gift is because you're not going to use your spiritual gift. So, um, and so in First Corinthians thirteen, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have, a, have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove, remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And it goes into love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast. So love is our fuel that drives the use of our spiritual gift so that we can edify and build up the body, which is the church. So with that, so watch covetousness in there, know our role, and be thankful that God's the one that gave that to you because the Holy Spirit is in you and gave you what um, he wants you to do, and he made you precisely for that. So, And then the last one. The wife of Christ. The church is the wife of Christ. Have you heard, has anybody heard anybody say, I hate the church? They're just like, I don't go, I'm a Christian, but I hate the church and I'm not going to it. Huh? You have? Anybody else hear that? You've heard it? You've heard it? Yeah. So what they're saying is, I hate Jesus Christ's wife. So that's pretty insulting. What if somebody went to you and said, I hate your spouse. I can't stand to be around your spouse. Like, oh, I can't stand to be around you right now. So, <laughs> so. Um, the wife of Christ. So Ephesians chapter 5, 22, we'll read that. <clears throat> so a lot of times here, so this is one of the wonderful metaphors of Scripture. And we all see this. We all see marriages. There's a lot of marriages here. Um, and 
it was act, marriages were actually created that we know from this scripture to show Christ in the church. So, and a lot, and what we do, and what this verse is doing, this is it's re reverse engineering Christ in the church to help us be good husbands and wives to each other is what this is showing. But don't miss the main point here that the church is um, Christ's bride, okay? And, and the imagery, I don't have time to go in there, but the imagery of weddings and the bride of Christ is all throughout scriptures. Um, just the fact that Jesus is going to prepare a room and then we're gonna, and he's gonna come back and take us and to his home for all eternity is all um, first century wedding imagery. So um, Ephesians chapter 5, 22, I'll read that. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, but as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So the mystery is profound. A mystery is, a, is knowledge that was concealed that is now revealed. Okay, so it's not something that's unknowable, like we would use mystery, um, but it actually mean mystery means something that was concealed is now revealed. So Paul is revealing that um, marriage is actually a picture of Christ in the church. So what is the what are some main things that we can learn about the church from this scripture? What do you guys think? What's the profound mystery? And there's a bunch here. You know, two separate entities can become one. Okay. Yeah, so two are becoming one and joined together, one flesh. So... So Christ and the church are one. Okay. Any other things that you can pull from that? What did Jesus do for the church? Huh? Died. So what does it say he did? He died so that what? Make her holy. Make her holy, right? So, so that's um, so it's going to be um, so that the church might um, 
in himself in what's it, what, verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So that's the essence of what the gospel did. So those that are in the church have been redeemed. We've been adopted. We have, our sins are forgiven. So we have been saved by grace through faith, not a result of our works so that no man can boast, but because Jesus died on the cross, we believe he forgave and we are now sinless positionally. And then we will be glorified. So you can turn to Revelation 21. So Revelation 21. So this is the fulfillment. So we have an already not yet, and we'll get into that in our study of end times. So we already see what Jesus did and justified the church, but we aren't completely sinless yet. Um, so he'll be completely, the fulfillment will completely come. The bride, which is Christ's bride, the church, will be adorned and be holy and radiant, not because of what the church did, but because of what Jesus did, and the church reflects back God's glory here. So, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. So that's us. Coming, da coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He is dwelling with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So that's that ultimate fulfillment that will happen in, um, in Revelation there at the end times. And so that proper, when we have a proper wedding ceremony here, what do we do for the bride? She's supposed to be the most glorious, the prettiest, the one that has the most honor because of, um, of this picture that we have here of what Jesus has done. And what's the groom supposed to do? The groom's supposed to die for her. So, <laughs> so, um, so, um, but so the groom is supposed to love her, and that act of love, suffering, and dying for the bride will be reflected back in the glory of the bride, um, which ultimately then goes to God. So that's that picture of imagery. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of that imagery that happens in um, with headship and authority of husbands and wives, um, that gets confusing. So all these metaphors, household of God, temple of God, branches of the vine body, wife of Christ, these all point to unity. Okay, that is our main point. What do we struggle with most in humanity? <laughs> unity, okay? We almost don't even really understand unity we almost, you almost have to talk about disunity to understand unity, right? What, what, is, what is the perfect, what is our perfect example of unity in Scripture? 
Excellent. Trinity. How can three persons be one God? We can't even grasp that. We can't understand unity. We can't understand how we can be in God and how can the Holy Spirit in us. We don't understand the depth, breadth of unity. And I think it's because we can't understand the depth, breadth, and height of God's love for us. Okay, so love is the key. We have a hard time with that. But we do talk quite a bit about um, um, disunity. But all these metaphors here is one house, one body, the branch that is one with the vine. Marriage points to two becoming one. Okay, Psalm 133 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. So, so like I said, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around disunity. I mean, it's hard to wrap our minds about unity. I can use the example of the United States of America. We have 50 states. So a state is actually a sovereign country. So there's the sovereign state of France, the sovereign state of Germany. We don't have a sovereign state of Illinois, but we have this thing of states where it what used to be before the Civil War, of the American Civil War, it was these United States of America because it was a bunch of states coming together to form some federated country, okay? These United States. After the Civil War, there was a concerted effort to change it to the United States of America, and which is what we, which is what we say now um, uh, for that. And that's good because we are one country even though uh, Texas and the United States are kind of going at it right now. So, um, so it's almost, um, but we know unity by almost seeing disunity. So we know how bad disunity is. So when we, when we see divorces that are happening, so that might have happened to you personally. It might have happened to somebody really close to you. You, might, um, you also might see infighting in an extended family. That's terrible. You're like uh, um, two brothers that are not speaking to each other or um, cousins that hate each other. You're like, that's terrible. We hate that, okay? Um, we even see that with a branch that has been cut off and a vine. Um, I mean, that's disunity. When you cut a branch, it dies. I mean, we see that picture. We see the sadness of somebody that has an amputated limb or they lost their eye. It's like we know that it's like that is sad. There is something missing there. And so we see that and we're sad about it. So turn to James chapter 4. And in James chapter 4 is a great help to me in understanding disunity. And then it's going to talk about disunity, and then it's going to switch to unity and what that is, okay? So James chapter 4, I'm going to read quite a few verses here. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, which... It's not talking about actually killing because you can just hate somebody and that's spiritual murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So our desires are disordered. 
And so that causes quarrels and fights within us, covetousness, hatred, murder, okay? Having right desires is key. And you don't, your desires are not fulfilled because you haven't even asked God, and, and he's not going to answer you when you ask for a million dollars. It's like, well, you're not getting that. You're, what are you going to spend it on? And it's like, well, I want to go on a great vacation and have a nice house. And it's like, well, I'm not giving that to you. So then it talks in verse 4, you adulterous people. In the Greek, I actually know this, um, not because I know Greek, but somebody told me, <laughs> unless I was lied to. It's actually you adulteresses. You adulteresses. Okay, so what do we know from our metaphors of the church? Yeah, we're the wife. So we are, when we do these things and have quarrels and fights, we are um, having an affair with, um, against Jesus, right? So Jesus is our, so that imagery keeps going. So you adulterous people, or you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that there's no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in you? So God is faithful despite our faithlessness. You guys might have heard that. Verse 6, but he gives us more grace. Right? So we're adulteresses, but he is faithful despite our faithfulness. He gives us more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourself therefore to God. So what are wives to do to their husbands? Submit. So what is the church to do to Christ? Submit. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Okay. So that's great. It's like we don't have to fight him. We just have to resist him, right? So let's just not listen to his lies. And if you don't think you have an enemy that wants to kill and destroy you, you are wrong. You have, and we talked about demonology here, um, but we have, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against um, spiritual forces in high places. So we want to um, resist those lies and listen to the truth and have our hope in God. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourned and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will call to you. Repentance is the key. Having a humble heart, praying to God for humility, um, for your sinfulness, for your disordered desires or um, uh, a simple desire is called a lust. Sometimes we <clears throat> reduce lust to just um, uh, sexual immorality, which is one lust, but a lust is any uh, sinful desire uh, would be the historical definition. So biblical counseling, for those who are going, who's going to biblical counseling conference? Got one, that's it, not more? Oh, okay, it's great. But one of the, one of the big things are, um, is a great saying, is we do what we do because we want what we want because we worship what we worship. So we do what we do because we want what we want because we worship what we worship. So if we worship God, we will glorify him, submit to him, and have unity with him. Um, if we... Um, if we don't worship God, 
we will worship ourselves and fall into disunity, quarrels, fights, um, and adult, other adulterous actions that the church would do. Any other any thoughts on that? So I threw a whole bunch out at there. Um, James chapter four is a great verse to memorize. Um, great verses to memorize um, to help us just and think through that. Um, okay, we're gonna. I'm gonna go and talk quickly and introduce the purpose of the church. So if you have this, turn to chap, uh, to page three. The purpose of the church. We're just going to talk real briefly about that. So the purpose of one of the main purposes of the church is exaltation. So as with all things in the Christian life, the church has been formed to exalt God. So I really like um, Ephesians 1. Um, I'm going to read 11, verse 11. So, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purposes of him who work all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So what we do is in everything for the sake of the name. So in, a, in Revelation chapter 2, it's talking specifically about a church that's uh, in one of the churches here. Chapter 2, verse 3. Um, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So he's commending this the church of Ephesus that... Um, you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, for God's name, for his name's sake. So we are doing all things for God's glory um, or for his name's sake. That's kind of more, that's used more for the sake of the name. You'll see that all throughout the scriptures. For the sake of his name is what we do things. What happens when we don't do things for the sake of his name? So for example, our motives can be good, um, or they can be evil, um, but they can be more tricky where our motives can be off of for the sake of the name, and they can appear good, but the motives are a little bit different. So when we're in church, well, I'll talk about for missionaries. Um, what's some temptation that missionaries have, and they start doing missions not for the glory of God? What can happen? What, huh? Pride. Pride. Okay. So, what would that look like? What do you think that would look like? What would that manifest themselves as in their actions? What they were succeeding, but they would okay. prefer to take the glory themselves. Okay. So. Okay. So they're they're succeeding in what ways? What would be success in the mission field? What does that look like? We're like, that's successful. That's a great missionary. I'm donating more money. Huh? Okay, lots of conversions. So if 
if our motive, if our missionary had the motive to, for the sake of God's name, or you could have our missionary motive is to win people to Christ. Okay, so we're not, so we have a missionary that goal is not to glorify God, but to save people, to get conversions. What will happen when you have a man-centered motive? What would that look like? Yeah. Yeah, so what does it look like? So think that through. Okay, so he's um, so then so he's doing things for power, right? Okay, so power and glory. Yeah. Okay, like more of like a kind of a enclave. Or a cult. There's a lot of that happening in Africa right now. It lead to discouragement too when those conversions aren't happening. Okay. It's not working, so I'm just going to pack it on up. Yep. So that's good. That's so if you're man-centered and you're you're doing things as um, um, you want salvations and conversions, and you don't get those, you're discouraged. Yeah. Narcissism, where it's all about him. I'm such a good speaker that So if he's getting conversions, people are coming, and so he's feeling, look at what I'm doing. Okay. It's the same thing that you have to reverse. You're not able to get conversions, you take the blame, and so this. Yeah. Being a part of a whole process, not being in all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, who, 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 who saves people? The we are just to share the gospel. God's the one that changes hearts. It's also we. There's also um, you can coerce conversions and manipulate people into them so that you can get your number up. So it's like I had twelve conversions. I was like, well, they're probably only like zero or one. Um, because they didn't persevere. Um, that's happening quite a bit in India. Um, you can have exaggerated conversions, and you're just you're like round up. It's like I had one, but I'm going to round up to eight. I don't know. So, <laughs> so to get those numbers, um, to get those numbers up there, we can also our goal. Let's say we want to grow our church and get more people into church. So a lot of people compromise on teaching, right? So they compromise on teaching sin. So I don't want to teach on sin. That makes people uncomfortable. I won't get as many people here, right? You also, you might have a sermon that's more entertaining, tells more jokes, right? Getting away from the scripture to get more people to come. There's even a church that paid people to come to church. So that's true. That was in Texas. Yeah, it's about maybe about ten years ago or something like that. So um, we can also do that. We want to raise money for ministry. So if we try to raise money and not 
try and do things for God's glory, it's very easy to guilt people into getting money. So guilt works, um, but it's the worst form of it. So it gets money, but it does not glorify God. Giving out of guilt is not helpful, um, and it's quite hurtful. So, so the purpose of the church has to be at its core to glorify him for the, everything we do is for his name's sake. Okay? So um, that's the most important. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week, and then we're going to get into um, more of the purposes of the church. Any questions? Uh, I kind of went over. Sorry. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for today. Thankful for um, your church. We're thankful for all you've given us. Lord, help us to glorify you. We want to do things for your namesake, for your glory, Lord. Let us put away all quarreling, bitterness, selfishness. Unite us here together, Lord, as brothers and sisters in one household. In Jesus' name, amen.